Hey everyone, and welcome, or welcome back, to another episode of Nightmare Now, the show where we muse on the mysteries of the multiverse every week and cover macabre machinations and morbidities monthly. Mostly weekly, but weekly doesn't start with an M. I'm your host, Eric Byrne, and man do I have a freaky topic for you today. But first, some exciting news from our sponsor. Me. It's, it's just me. I paid to host this show and the website. I'm the sponsor. But anyway, we surpassed 300 downloads the other day, and we're live on a few more countries and platforms. I'm getting some feedback from people who I haven't known for years, or even at all. So if you don't know me personally, and you're still checking out the show, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you. Alright, let's get down to business with the topic tonight. I think this is our first Alien show proper. In fact, I know it is, because we only have seven episodes. But I'm sure there's going to be plenty more. Unless these guys show up and wipe my brain, that is. That's right, tonight we're talking The Men in Black. The second scariest thing under that title. The first has got to be that Pitbull tie-in song for the third MIB movie. Our source this evening is Robert Bull's Men in Black, a preliminary report from 1997. For the uninitiated, and no, the 1997 Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones movie and sequels aren't really a primer on this stuff, but they're great nonetheless. For the uninitiated, the Men in Black are part of a conspiracy theory dating back to the late 1940s, post-World War II when the world was engulfed in saucer mania. Pilots reported seeing flying saucers, people saw glowing orbs that learned to fly, or that were learning to walk again. These were known as Foo Fighters, though some would claim that these Foo Fighters were just a pretender, trying to get the best of you. I could go on ever long about the orbs that were sighted, breaking the sound barrier and performing seemingly impossible aerial stunts, but I think it would kind of Throw a monkey wrench into the plan for this episode. You'd be sitting there listening, expecting Men in Black content, and I'd just be talking about orbs. You'd unsubscribe and shrug and say, There goes my hero, I guess. In the panic of saucers and Foo Fighters, people were seeing all sorts of crazy shit in this guy. Some of it may have been aliens buzzing the planet to check out the Grand Canyon or trying to pick up Earth chicks. And some of it could have been advanced government, military technology prepping for the earliest stages of the Cold War. Give it a few years when Eisenhower got into office and it was probably both. But President Eisenhower pimping out Americans for vivisection in exchange for alien technology is a whole nother can of worms that warrants an episode all on its own. So we're not going to talk about that much, too much today. Damn, I'm getting myself all wound up here. It's just that the UFO phenomena is a subject that, you know, like a tar pit, is as wide as it is sticky, murky, deep, and greasy. I'll get to all this stuff in due time, though. But for now, the men in black. Upon seeing all this wild shit in the sky, people would chat up their friends and co-workers or the neighbors or newspapers or whatever. They didn't have podcasts to avoid social interaction back then. If witnesses got too chatty about what they saw, or if they started looking too deep into the phenomena, that's when they showed up. You'd be sitting around the kitchen table when the phone would ring. Now who could that possibly be at this hour? What a rascal! 
you'd pick it up and the voice would say in an eerie facsimile of human speech that it was a UFO researcher that wanted to hear about your experience. You'd agree to something like, now sure, son, we can set something up. Click. They would hang up, and within seconds there would be a knock on your door. You open it to see a tall, unusually thin man dressed all in black, maybe with one or two others. Hello, Mr. Listener. We spoke earlier on the phone. We'd like to come in, perhaps ingest a water glass. The clothes are always carefully manicured, complete with sharp pleats, as if they had come right off the rack. Unusually pale, larger than normal eyes. Is Anya Taylor Joy a Men in Black? Hmm. They'd have that weird robotic speech, and there's always something off about them. Sometimes they're completely hairless. That means no eyebrows, no facial hair, nothing. Other times they'd have a greasy comb over. These guys would set off every Uncanny Valley warning alarm that you have. Aside from their unsettling appearance, people who encountered them reported unusual behavior. Like they had to take a crash course on human society by watching movies and TV shows and then trying to fit in. Being vaguely aware of human behavior, but utterly unable to comprehend any sort of nuance to it. Other times they were more aggressive, shoving and threatening people with ice-cold hands. But some things were always the same. A feeling of unease. The intruders asking if they had seen anything unusual days after the witness had seen a UFO or some other phenomena, and a warning, implicit or explicit, to not look into this any further and to not tell anyone what you saw. They claimed to be from the government and usually drove black cars, oftentimes Cadillacs. People still encounter MIBs to this very day, and there's a lot more to the MIB phenomena as a whole, and I want time to read a book or two to put a long-form episode together on them from their origins to notable encounters and even modern sightings. But today I'm going to look at one wild set of encounters that didn't take place in 1950s Roswell, New Mexico, but instead right here on my street in 1977 Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Additionally, I'm too afraid to do the full research right now for what it's worth. I've been house-sitting for a friend out in the woods this past week, and every time I take the dog out late at night, I get the feeling that someone is watching me, just beyond the porch light. A bush rustles, a twig snaps, <laughs> and I book it inside. Sitting by the fire late at night and reading about the men in black showing up and threatening people really gives me the fucking creeps. Our story tonight begins with the Mrs. Evans. She used an alias, so don't go harassing old women named Mrs. Evans, all you Portsmouth people. Although, if you do know who it is and feel like she'd be up for an actual interview, let me know at NightmareNow.com. The icons on the site will take you to all the social media or email links you might need. So Mrs. Evans was at the local grocery store. Literally, I can picture walking there from here. Not in 1977, I wasn't alive yet. But the road there still exists, and the grocery store was already there. So she's at the grocery store looking at the National Enquirer, or whatever was in the checkout aisle back then, when she sees him, dressed in all black with a fedora. 
There's actually a sketch of this one that I'll throw in the show notes. Mrs. Evans was apparently an artist, a painter, so she was able to provide a pretty decent sketch of the perpetrator here. He had stark white skin and jet black eyes. Already freaky, but then there's the weird details. He had wide shoulders and a tiny waist like he had a corset under his suit jacket. And later, when he walked away, he walked with a stiff gait, apparently with no curvature of the spine. I don't think I've ever really noticed the curvature of a stranger's spine, unless it's like Igor level fucked up. But it's certainly an interesting thing to point out and notice, so it must have been, well, noticeable. The man, I guess we'll call him a man, even though he could very well be an alien, was being handed his change by the cashier, whom he was ignoring. Instead, he opted to stare backwards at Mrs. Evans and the checkout line with an eerie glare. Eventually, the cashier managed to get his attention and give him his change, and he left. But the encounter was still unnerving. Evans chalked it up to the guy being a creep and pushed the thought from her mind. That was all well and good until she leaves the store, and he's standing there as if he's expecting her. I I mean, why wouldn't he? It was probably the only way out of the grocery store at the time, but I digress. Mrs. Evans at this point just wants to get the hell out of there with her groceries and kind of takes off speed walking towards her home. The man in black starts going the same direction, and by the time they leave the parking lot, his long strides have him walking five or six steps ahead of her. He hasn't said a word or anything at this point, just giving her that glare in the store. Suddenly, he makes an almost robotic 90-degree turn to the left and heads down a side street. Mrs. Evans wants to ignore him and move on towards home, but her curiosity gets the better of her, and she looks to her left to see if he's gone, having hopefully walked down the other street and out of her life, but she's got no such luck. She drops a bag of her groceries and her blood goes ice cold. The man is standing in the middle of the street, staring directly at her. At this point, she's past the street the man supposedly went down, so either he silently sprinted to catch up to her, or he teleported, or some other kind of spatial fuckery. He still doesn't make a sound, nor does he make an expression on his pallid face. He just stands there nodding like that fucking Jack Nicholson gif from Anger Management. He nods three times and completely vanishes. She said it was like a light turning off and he was gone. He didn't move, he didn't fade out, just a blink and he wasn't there anymore. God, can you imagine if that was at night? He pops up right next to you under a streetlight and then disappears. Ugh. I couldn't find a time of day for this story other than late August of 1977, but it's so damn creepy, it gives me the chills. I wrote some more of this outline today, but last night the stuff in the woods escalated at the house I'm babysitting. Maybe it's just because it's late, maybe I'm paranoid, but I swear I saw fucking Gray run by just outside the backyard light. About three, four feet tall, grayish skin, seemingly bipedal. The dog looked up at it too, so it wasn't just my imagination. I guess it could be a deer? But I know about all the stories about looking into this kind of phenomena. Doing this kind of research is usually exactly how people end up having run-ins with the MIBs. So I'm excited to get on with some more, I don't know, 
grounded topics so I'm not being harassed by aliens while I'm trying to enjoy my non-show-related, non-work-related free time. As the book presents, though, that wasn't the last mysterious encounter Mrs. Evans suffered. Again, if any of my friends in Portsmouth, if this is your grandma, I, I guess 1977, it could just be your mother. Let me know. I'll be gentle, I swear. She seems cool as fuck, and I believe what she's putting out. So that's it. End of show. I wasted 20 minutes of your day to see a gangly, rude, albino Jack Nicholson. That was it. See you next week. If you think that's all I got for an episode. I know it's late today, but give me a break. I'm getting harassed by greys in an unfamiliar environment. So that wasn't the last of Mrs. Evans' peculiar encounters. In fact, it wasn't even the first. As a child, she reported poltergeist activity. And as a young woman in the 1960s, she reported seeing a man in a, quote, Air Force uniform with a sad affect that walked with her for a week, but never again. That one doesn't really sound paranormal, just a dude shooting his shot. Later in 1977, she saw a UFO. Now this is where things get juicy, because aside from the thirsty airman, who I, again, really don't believe was an otherworldly entity, her life was fairly normal. Until 1977. She sees a UFO in the winter of 77 with her husband. We've got multiple witnesses here, and that's important as far as UFOs go. In late 1978 and early 79, she reports burns and lacerations on her skin after, quote, restless nights. For those of us familiar with the lore, this is textbook alien abduction and experimentation uh, evidence. And the Portsmouth area is honestly well known for alien abductions. I've had a cigar or two at night in my yard, and I haven't seen shit, but Exeter, the next town over, is the site of the famous, or infamous, depending on how dramatic you want to be, Betty and Barney Hill abductions of the early, I want to say 1950s? They'll get their own episode someday, maybe even on location. I'm pretty sure there's a monument to them out on 101. Later, Mrs. Evans cops to a dozen or so UFO sightings from December 1978 to November 1979. It seems like after her original encounter, she was intertwined and attuned with the phenomena. Why that is, is pretty much entirely unclear. And this is kind of unusual. She didn't see the UFOs until after encountering the MIB. Normally, it's the other way around. You see the UFO, and then the MIBs show up, trying to shut you up after the fact. Interestingly enough, though, Miss Evans' father reported a UFO as early as 1973, which could point to some sort of familial link common in abduction and visitation cases like this. Where it's an alias that's being used, it's almost impossible to follow up on those claims and leads, so I... I don't I don't really know what to do there. I'm going to start jumping all over her timeline, though, because the experiences she had after the fact are simply put unbelievable. And we get to start going back to her poor husband, the man that thought he was being constantly cucked by the men in black. Good old Joe Evans. I'm 100% making that name up, so if that's your real name, sorry. Old Joe Evans walks into the kitchen one day and sees his wife, Mrs. Evans. Let's 
Let's call her Sandy from now on. It's an alias after all, so Sandy's as good a name as any. Sandy is cooking up some fire 1979 chili or some sort of horrific jello cake or one of those other, like, uh, 1950s to 1970s horrific recipes they made. And Joe walks in to see his beloved wife and standing behind her, a gangly man dressed in a neatly ironed suit. He asks, who the fuck is this? And Sandy turns around and screams. She didn't even realize the guy was there. The MIB, who, quote, didn't look solid, unquote, appears to phase straight through the kitchen door and run off into the night. Crazy. Another time, a year later, Sandy was working in her garden, and Joe came home to see the same lanky dude hanging out behind her, probably hip-thrusting away without her knowledge as she bent over to pluck carrots or, <laughs> or something out of the soil. Furious, he thought he was getting cucked again. He shouted, who the fuck is that? What the fuck is going on? And she again turned around and screamed. And the MIB ran straight through the hedge in her yard as if it wasn't even there. It's kind of funny to think that maybe she was getting some side action and the dude was covering himself in flour or something to look like an alien to hide it. But the sheer amount of sightings and documentation makes me think that he wasn't really getting cucked, at least not by any average human. Another time, and the date isn't specified, Sandy saw a man in a flight suit of some kind, olive-skinned with his hands up over his head that walked right by her, keeping his hands up like a surgeon in the, um scrub up position with the quote baleful eyes of a fish this to me doesn't seem like an mib they usually have extremely pale skin and they're often quite tall it sounds like here she ran into the fucking great cornolio looking for tp but it was worth including for the beavis and butthead reference another time she saw a van with a mysterious midget that appeared from within it walked right by her ignoring her Again, I really don't think this one is paranormal. I think she was reaching for experiences in this interview and kind of pulling out any random bullshit she could remember. I think it was just a little person trying to go about his business. And some of these accounts really didn't need to be published, but Robert Bull, the author of this book, I guess he felt the need to be exhaustive. And so do I. Later, though, she was working on the hedges again, and suddenly the hedges parted revealing two faces that she initially thought were just neighborhood children fooling around. But then she noted that they weren't in fact children, but older and inhuman in form. And the only noise they made was the kissy noise one uses when he wants to, you know, summon a cat. And they reached out of the bushes with misshapen hands, like fleshy lobster claws without a shell. She ran into the house and was unable to scream. And when she came back with her husband, Joe, no lobster children were able to be found anywhere. But she did see a shadowy figure walking down the road, a figure that Mrs. Evans' own neighbor would eventually confess to see prowling around her own home. That's a huge detail. Again, that's multiple witnesses and corroborations of her story. As far as I'm concerned, I believe the that all this happened as far as as for her getting piped up by an mib the jury's still out but i'm sure 
but I'm sure Joe Evans doesn't really feel great about it. As I write this, I'm looking out the window to see if I can catch any of this craziness. This is all in my home neighborhood. I live right near this grocery store. Jeez, this shit is making me wonder if I should move out of this alien-infested town. Although most of the spooky shit I see is crackheads hanging around Gosling Meadows, not exactly an otherworldly existential threat. Another wild story that was reported about Mrs. Evans is, um, her mailman walked up to her porch. He had waved to her walking a golden retriever-looking dog on the way over to her house, and then she came out of the front door, and he was supremely confused. He's like, didn't I just see you over there walking your dog? And she just, like, goes ice cold again because she's never had a golden retriever. She's never walked a dog. It's another one of those weird, kind of tangential doppelganger stories that, you know, adds to this kind of mythos of this Portsmouth MIB phenomena. It's it's interesting. I, I'm not sure what to make of that one. And there's really not a whole lot of follow-up on it. But again, it's another outside witness to the story that corroborates it and adds more to the lore. It's truly fascinating. I'm going to riff off of some of the smaller encounters she had after the initial one at the grocery store here. These don't really have dates or quite as much description as the others, but I feel like they're more than interesting enough to include. Mrs. Evans reported a blood-like jelly-like red substance coating objects in her home spontaneously. This is interesting because this is something you see a lot in haunting or poltergeist-style cases in the lore. I believe that somewhere out there waiting to be hashed out and dictated is a sort of unified theory of paranormal experiences. The deeper you go into this field, the more you recognize that disparate phenomena overlap in a ever-complicating Venn diagram. Aliens and alien abductions are related to old-timey fairy lore and fairy circles, are related to government cover-ups, are related to hauntings and ghosts that are related to cryptids, and so much more. I truly believe that there's more linking Bigfoot, aliens, space, earth, the depths of the ocean and the mind, and the human psyche and we can truly know right now. Further jumping off that train of thought, Mrs. Evans reported puffs of yellow smoke in her home, smelling of, quote, wet zoo animals and sulfur. This, to me, really screams demonology and ties in biology into all the bullshit I talked about a second ago. It's all connected. Mrs. Evans has still further strange experiences. She reports... Her purse floating from her table to her hand. Fire bolts shooting from her fingertips under the nail, not over it. That's an important detail that was included for some reason. Fire bolts shooting out from underneath her fingernail. And her tea kettle letting out ethereal howls without having any water in it or even the stove on. She's really a one-woman microcosm of Fortean phenomena. It's amazing. She reports some premonitions of IRA attacks and plane crashes and stuff, but honestly, I feel like these are a more spurious reach than the rest of the things she's going through. 
but they're in the book, so I figured I'd at least reference them. I, I don't put as much stock into those as I do the rest of the uh, reported phenomena. So Robert Bull collects all this over a series of interviews in um, a preliminary report and goes on to follow up when Mrs. Evans agrees to undergo a psychiatric examination. They reported no signs of schizophrenia or any sort of other mental disorders, and Sandy Evans reports herself to never touching a drop with regards to booze or other substances that could be blamed you know, for hallucinations or altered perception or what have you. Robert comes to the conclusion that she's just an extraordinary woman with extraordinary experiences. Her husband really was just mad as hell that every time he would be gone, he'd come home to find a tall, gangly dude giving his wife a shoulder massage, and then he'd float through the fucking wall when he got called out. Again, if anyone knows these guys' real names and if they're up for an interview... Let me know at nightmarenowpodcast at gmail.com. I'm in the area. And that just about wraps up the tale of Mrs. Evans and the Portsmouth MIBs. But I'm sure there's more to uncover right here at home. I'm recording in a haunted house after all. Thanks again for everyone listening. Thanks for 300 downloads. That's a huge milestone. Tell your friends about the show. Leave the review. Subscribe. All that good stuff. And if you've got something you want me to cover and riff off of, send it my way at nightmarenow.com. As always, I wish you all sweet dreams, but we all know it's only going to be nightmares now. Especially when you call us brave. See you next week. <laughs>